the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. One of the greatest statements of hope in the midst of extreme adversity. Next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Hi, and welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Over the next three programs, we will spend time in one of the greatest passages of Scripture when it comes to understanding the hope in the midst of adversity, Job chapter 19. As we begin our time together today, we begin with Job's response to his friends who would seek to accuse him of wrongdoing. It's here that Job reminds them that while they may do this, he still has hope. Please join us as we continue our survey of Job here on today's edition of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. This is a very, very heavy, heavy chapter. And I hope as we go through it, you will feel Job's brokenness. He is a mirror in many respects in which we see that the way forward when the Lord sifts and tries us is to cry out to God. It is to hold fast to him as our redeemer. It is to believe no matter what happens to us that he will not forsake us. He is our God. He loves us and he will take care of us. He has bound himself to us. We may be forsaken as Job was by friends and household and even feel that God has forsaken us. But faith always goes back to this one place. God is my God. He has sworn this to his children, that we will be with him forever. And even when or if everything is taken away, God will not forsake me. He sends afflictions for one reason into our lives, and that is to bring us back to this point over and over again. He lets us fall into sin over and over and over again. He brings us adversity of one form or another over and over and over again. Why? Because we stop crying out to him. We stop trusting in him. We stop looking to him alone as our only strength, our only hope, and our only help. The Lord brought Job to this very low point, which was also a very high point, as we'll see at the end of the chapter. And it does seem quite strange for Job to basically give his own funeral dirge uh, ahead of time and then to come down to the end and give a shout of triumph. I know that my Redeemer lives 
and that he shall stand upon the earth in the latter day. Spiritually, we see Job downcast, and then we see him uplifted. But you know, that's the way the Lord deals with all of his sons. He showed us that in the Lord Jesus when he bore all of our curse upon the cross, our pride, our lusts, our worldliness. When he was struck down as our substitute on the cross and he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, he was still hoping in his father. He was still making his prayer to the God of his life. But the Lord will bring all of Christ's disciples and his children to this place to teach us that he is our only refuge, our only victory over sin and death, and is our eternal inheritance. And he will set us to praying. Not praying perfunctory because I have to, but praying fervently, praying weeping and praying with faith. Because that is the only prayer that honors the Lord. And that is the only prayer that shows that we really believe that He is our Father and that He loves us and that He will take care of us. There are basically five sections in this lengthy chapter, and I thought about, you know, breaking this all up. But instead of that, I'm going to try and be as concise as I can, because all of this fits together as one narrative. And in the first six verses, Job makes one basic point. He says, God has overthrown me. He looks at his friends and he asks, why are you vexing my soul? Why are you crushing me with your words? Ten times you have insulted me. Now, where did he come up with this number ten? Well, he just heard from Bildad, remember. And that was the fifth speech that was directed to Job. But each one of those speeches contained a double reproach. On the one hand, Job, you're a hypocrite. On the other hand, Job, you're trying to justify yourself before God. So it is ten reproaches that Job has received thus far. Job says, you should be ashamed that you make yourself strange to me. And beloved, we should be ashamed too. When we see our brothers and sisters struggling and weeping, and when we hear their prayers and a sigh in their soul, and our hearts don't go out to them and help them and encourage them. He says in verse 4, it may be that I have erred. He says, I spent the first week when we were all weeping together, examining myself. And I'm not aware of any particular sin that would have brought these things into my life. After all, I've lived my life sacrificing and worshiping God, teaching my household to walk in the ways of God. But I don't see everything about myself. And if there is something, I am freely willing to hear about it so I can repent of it and, and I can truly deal with it. He says in verse 4, even if I have truly erred, my heirs remain with myself. I will have to deal with it. 
But verse 5, why are you magnifying yourselves against me? You're using my suffering as a parade ground for your own foolishness and your own condemnations, and you're pleading against me and throwing my sufferings in my face. My friends, we should never do this. No brother or sister should ever find that they will look at us when they are suffering and see us respond cold and heartless. But that is what Job's friends were doing. And they thought they were right. They thought they were doing God's will. Oh, we need to be very, very careful. Even if wisdom did die with us, as Job's friends believed, even if we did read everyone's circumstances perfectly and we knew why that brother was suffering and why that sister was suffering and why that one was suffering, the response of dust to other dust needs to be the sympathy of dust. It needs to be mercy and compassion because of God's grace and mercy and compassion to us. Plus, verse 6, do you not know that God has overthrown me? This is another way of saying, don't you see that my sufferings are something that are unusual? You know the way I have lived. I have been a godly man, although not perfect. And we've already seen that Job confessed his sins, and he knows that God could still bring up a thousand things against him. So he says, don't you know this is something out of the ordinary? Why can't you see this? This is not just a matter of God blesses the good man and God judges the wicked man. Duh, we all know that. This is something unique, he says. And God has overthrown me. So you should be sympathetic. He was surrounded by all sides with nets. Everywhere I look, there is nothing but a trap. You know, there's an old saying that men who live in glass houses shouldn't throw rocks. And that is really what Job is saying here in one way or another about his friends. When our brothers and sisters cry and are complexed, perplexed before God for his dealing with them, it is not only hateful but selfish not to cry with them. Now, here's a hard thing. If we're not crying... And when we run into someone who is weeping or sorrowful, we want them to stop crying as soon as possible. Because sympathy is challenging. To be really sympathetic for someone is challenging. Because it forces us to come out of ourselves and to identify and weep with those who weep. Sympathy is also uncomfortable because it may mean that our emotional state might be strained. Maybe the Lord is blessing us. Maybe we had a great morning seeking the Lord and we are filled with joy. And then we get a phone call from a brother or from a sister and they're mourning before God. 
they lost their job or someone in their family has died and it's like, Lord, I was just rejoicing before you and now I've got to weep. Beloved, that is life in the body of Christ. We've got to realize that we are weak too and our time will come. So we need to be slow to rush to judgment. You can't think, well, if, if you were just as good as I am or if you were as smart, these things probably wouldn't be happening to you. Or, you know, we play the judge. God must be afflicting you because of... Or we play, and, and it is true. Some sins are obvious in our lives and in other people's lives, and we do have to confront them, or we would be poor friends. But we do need to remember that God's afflictions are not like connect the dots. Oh, you did this? Boom! You'll get a lightning bolt Monday morning. It doesn't work like that generally, beloved. God has very specific reasons known only to Him for why He brings His discipline into our lives. And as we grow in our maturity, we realize that what James said in chapter 3 of his book about dealing with one another is so necessary that the wisdom that is from above is pure, it is peaceable, it is easy to be entreated, It is gentle. It is full of mercy. This is what we always receive from our Lord. Why? Because all I am is dust. All you are is dust. But God has redeemed us through His Son. He loves us. We will be raised in glory. We will dwell with Him forever. But on earth? There is going to be weeping. We are going to weep now because we will never, never, never weep again. The wicked don't don't weep over their sins now, but they will weep forever. We weep now because the Lord will bring upon us the discipline of the cross. And when we think, well, God has overthrown this man for his sins, what are we supposed to do? Well, even if that is true, beloved, we need to go to that man. We should love him and we should pray for him and we should encourage him to believe God's promises and trust that the God of all the earth is also our Father and he will always, always do right by us. What's more, Job says in verses 7 through 11, God counts me as an enemy. As an enemy. Not only is he inflicting me in ways that are unusual. No one has suffered like this at any one time who was a godly man. But God counts me as an enemy. Notice the strength of his cries here. Verse 7. Behold, I cry violence. There is a sense here though in Job that we have to see. He says, I'm right in this. I haven't done anything specifically wicked to warrant this. I'm crying out of a sense of being wronged, but I'm not being heard. I cry aloud, but God won't answer me. 
He won't explain to me what he's doing, why he's inflicting me so horribly. He says in verse 8, God has walled up my way so that I cannot pass. Everywhere I look, everywhere I look, there's darkness. And we've already seen this. We've seen it in his bodily ailments. The grave is just gaping before him. He believes he's just ready to die at any moment. Notice verse 9. God has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. Yes, he, he lost his children, which are a crown to old men. He has lost his wealth. He's lost his health, but even more. What Job is saying here, I lost sweet fellowship with my heavenly Father. He says in verse 10, He has destroyed me on every side. This is the worst thing anyone could ever go through as a professing believer. To feel like God is really armed against us to destroy us. The second half of verse 10, He has uprooted my hope like a tree. Remember in Psalm 1 we're told, we will be planted by rivers of water. But Job says, God has cut me down. I'm cut down like a tree in the forest and I'm just lying there waiting to die. In verse 11, he capstones all this. God is angry with me and he counts me as one of his enemies. As one of his enemies. These lines are heart-wrenching. Now we know what Job should be doing. He should be crying out to the Lord and praying as David did in the Psalms to the God of his strength, the God of his life, the God of his salvation. And that's all true. But do we? I mean, when the Lord touches us, and it brings us a little bit of adversity into our lives, many of us just seem to go to pieces. We're much too soft. You know, Lord, why have you forsaken me? I don't get it. Why are you doing this to me? Why do I have to go through this? And then we go to the Bible, and it seems like a closed book. And we can't focus because our eyes are on self. We go to prayer, and there seems to be no answer from the throne of grace because we are impatient, and we want an answer now, and we want it to be answered the way we want it. Do we still trust God Many times we start going around like little children. There's got to be an answer somewhere else. Maybe another preacher has the answer. Maybe another church does. Maybe there's a book. There has got to be some answer as to why I feel the way I do. When we go through little stretches like this, we need to remember Job. And we need to remember what God was doing in Job's life behind the scenes. Oh, beloved, aren't we very thankful that we do know what was going on behind the scenes with Job? Because otherwise, this would be an extremely unsettling book if we did not. 
So what was God doing? For one thing, he was mocking the devil. And God will sometimes use us, man, dust, to mock the devil. He was setting up Job for a glorious recovery that in some respects actually prefigured the resurrection of Christ. And he was showing before all men for all times that when everything is taken away from us, there is one thing we are to live by, and that is God's Word. That Word really is our life, and it really is enough. And His promises will sustain us, beloved. And what is that promise? It was sustaining Job when he thought God was his enemies. It is, I will be your God and you will be my people. It is the promise that is found throughout Scripture. And since God can't forget his covenant, he cannot and he will not forget us, even in our trials. But Job, here in verses 12 through 19, and this is even more personal, is telling us what was going on in his own household. He says, I have been completely forsaken. Remember, at the beginning of the chapter, he starts out, God has overthrown me. The second section, 7 through 11, God has become my enemy. Now, he says, everyone has forsaken me. You know, normally when we go through stuff, we have our family, we have a spouse, we have a friend, we have someone. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we are wise and we are humble, as we need to be, we will go to them. And we, when we go through our difficulty, and we will at least ask, will you pray for me? The Lord is really sifting me right now. And beloved, we get strength from that. But Job's friends there in verse 12, they become a troop of mockers. Notice Job uses the pronoun he there because he realizes throughout his sufferings that God has raised up these friends to trouble him and bring hardship to him. Verse 13, he has removed all of my family. My brethren are far from me. They've become like strangers to me. Verse 14, his closer family, they failed. His closest friends, which may or may not be those also who have been speaking to him this last week, have forgotten all about him. In his house, verse 15, his maids look at him and they barely recognize him. It's as if he is a stranger. Remember what he looked like. He lost weight. His skin was covered with boils. His skin was cracked and he was bleeding. Ugh, we don't want anything to do with this man. He says, it's gotten so bad, verse 16, that when I call, hey, I need a little water, his servants don't even answer him. Who is this man? And I don't think that Job is saying they're being insubordinate to him. They're just shocked by what's going on. Verse 17, my breath is offensive to my wife. Now, I don't think that means that Job's uh, thought he, he had halitosis. I think what he means here is that you would think I could go and lie in my wife's arms and she would at least comfort me. 
but it's like she doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Remember what Job's wife has already said. Job, just curse God and die. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are two in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. 